0: I'll probably need three or four bathroom breaks.
1: Oh huh? <laughs> right, like like a girl.
0: <laughs> like girls and older men. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, exactly this should be the, the name same. of
1: our podcast, Girls and Older <laughs> Men.
0: Yeah
1: yes. Welcome, Tim Um uh, Welcome, this, Laura to this podcast. Great to be talking to you and to do an interview. And um,
0: Same here. Yes.
1: And to start us off, I was thinking, um, how about you give a little bit of an introduction of yourself? So if someone at a cocktail party would ask you, "So what do you do?" then mm. what do you answer?"
0: Okay. Well, assuming I would tell that person the truth. Right. I would say my name is Tim Orr, and uh, uh, about improv, I would say I've been doing improv since 1988. And I started at BATS Improv and um, have been doing it ever since. Um, And, uh, yeah, I would say I'm part of the group's BATS Improv, uh, Three for All, Improv Playhouse of San Francisco, and uh, some other groups occasionally. yeah. And then I might say some other things like lie to them, depending (laughs) on if I was trying to get them in bed or impress them or those kinds of (laughs) things.
1: Well, what would you say then?
0: I don't know. I'd probably say I uh, I probably wouldn't say an improviser because everybody does that, so that's not impressive anymore. Mm -hmm. I'd probably say I'm a spy or something like that.
1: Good. That's a good story.
0: (laughs) I'm not sure. Something like that.
1: And (laughs) – If you, um, so you do different things with improv, so what does your work consist of? What is the total of things you do?
0: Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I teach, certainly, as you know, from all the workshops that that, uh, you've helped uh, us do in Amsterdam and Europe, and so I teach regularly, and of course I think, many improvisers, that's one of the ways that they make money at improv. Um, Although I don't do corporate work in general, because I actually don't like it too much. And I try to perform as much as possible. And I try to make that a uh, healthy percentage of what I do with improv. But you know, I don't always succeed in in performing as much as I would like. I'm, I'm fortunate that we have BATS Improv in San Francisco. BATS uh, has, a, has a great 200-seat theater, and we do three shows a week and all that. So that's really fortunate because it's hard to produce all your own shows. And I guess so, so I do that. Um, and I used to also spend about half my time coaching wheelchair sports, as you know. And I did that for about 25 years. I did both improv and that. And then in the last six years, I've stopped doing the wheelchair sports stuff. And I'm doing improv full-time. I don't do commercial work anymore as an actor. I don't really seek it out. Um, Although opportunities come up every now and then. I might do a little of it. But I don't audition. Uh, I don't try to do regular plays. I'm really a full-time improviser now. Yeah.
1: So you've yeah. mentioned the um the wheelchair basketball coaching yeah
0: Actually,
1: that would how does that um how does that work or how has has that work affected your improv
0: well I think it certainly affects my improv that I really like sports and and teamwork and all that stuff uh and I see the physical and teamwork nature of sports and improv being very similar. And it, it's probably affected me even more as a teacher th- than uh, when I'm on stage because um, to be a good coach, you really have to break things down and say, how do I teach this? Like, before somebody can shoot a basketball, what are the other things they have to know? And I really like teaching improv like that, too. You, you've you seen me teach. I often have a whistle and a stopwatch mm-hmm. when, I, when I'm doing Improv coaching, which I think is kind of unusual, but I like that aspect. Um, I actually like teaching like that. Like, I I go into classes, I almost never improvise what I teach. I'm very structured. I know kind of exactly what I want to teach that night. I I put a lot of thought into it, and I really stick to it. I usually don't go off of what I've planned. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is unusual, but I like it. I liked it when I was coaching sports, and I like it when I'm coaching improv.
1: Yeah, because does that make you... I can imagine that you as an improviser and you as a trainer are then very different, or isn't that the case? Are you also very well prepared for uh, the performance side? I
0: hope not. You know, I think one of the dangers with teaching and doing corporate improv too much is that we bring that... To our performance too much, so it's. I've seen improvisers and I've seen myself too. You know, act as if we're teaching the audience something, or we bring a, um, the meaning of improv, whatever that means, to the performance, and I I think that has a very negative effect on improv performance. And in fact, in a class I taught in Amsterdam in May, uh, you know, that's something we talked about with that group. You know. Um, and, and it's funny, I think a lot of people who have taught a lot and done, done a lot of corporate work for years actually feel that too. They feel that effect on their own play. Uh, you have to be much more wide open and to anything, I think, you know, happening at any second. So, no, I try not to bring, you know, I try to bring the positive aspects of it to the work, but not, not the teaching, mm-hmm. not the lesson, you know.
1: So how do you prepare for um, going on stage? What is your warm-up? What do you wear?
0: Well, um, the groups I'm in, we dress very formally in general. You know, the, the vests and the pants and the tie. We've done that for a long time. And, in fact, when we started, nobody else in improv was doing that, and they used to make fun of us a lot, right? And now a lot of people do, <laughs> finally. But um, we just like looking different than the audience, not too casual. In terms of warm-ups, I think, I think all the group – well, with BATS, certainly, we, we've always done pretty structured warm-ups. We do a vocal warm-up. We do some singing. We do some spontaneity exercises. Um freeze tag, you know, some very basic stuff. But we warm up for half an hour or 45 minutes. We also play a little ball. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some groups I'm with, like 3 for All and Improv Playhouse, we love playing ball. We'll play ball the whole time to warm up. the,
1: the, The spontaneity exercises, are those always the same or are they different?
0: No, we try to change them up. But they're kind of brain fry things, like three things. And those kind of things. Yeah. So stuff to get I, – I personally prefer to get my brain fried before shows than feel like I'm ready. I, I like to do stuff that just fries my brain. So when I go into the show, I'm like, ah, oh, my brain's fried. I can't think of anything. I feel better going into a show like that now than – I think I used to want to feel more prepared, and now I don't.
1: And how would you – in the, in the past warm up, if to feel more prepared instead of the brain frying you do now?
0: I think, you know, games that are less brain fries, but more like scene work, uh, or not even games that maybe that's the wrong word, but, um, freeze tag, you know, uh, scene starts, things like that, where you feel like you're doing scene work already to warm up. And, and I still like doing some of that. I just don't want to do it too much. I, I, uh, there's something about that structure. Like, if, if if it's a very fine line for me as a performer. Like, feeling like I'm getting ready to do a good job, which I think isn't good for me. Mm-hmm. Versus, I'm just getting ready to be open. It's a very fine line, though, you know. And uh, I don't always know what the best thing to do is. But if if my brain starts thinking, "Ooh, gotta get ready to do a good job," there's something wrong with that it screws me up so
1: yeah and do you do things to connect with your fellow improvisers or is it different in your normal groups than when you play a mixer at a festival
0: well my goal is to completely dominate my fellow improvisers (laughs) (laughs) and be better than them as often as i can so i think i think connecting with them before the show gives them the wrong impression Okay. So I, I try not to, but, but it happens anyway, unfortunately. Um, yeah, definitely try to connect with them. Yeah. Yeah. In whatever, whatever way seems right that evening, whether it's joking around or, or whatever, you know, cause people feel so differently. You know, if you're in a show with five or seven people, someone's going to be sad and someone's going to be angry and someone's going to be tired and, you know, you have to figure out all your different personalities and then try to adjust every night.
1: So, do you have a story of your worst or most standing out um, situation where you had a <laughs> different group, a mixer group, a festival group? Uh, <coughs> to connect to those people?
0: You mean in terms of connecting on stage or connecting before the show or?
1: Yeah, anything. Because you're adapting to different kinds of players when you travel, yeah. I suppose. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's true. I think I, I think the hardest thing for me, and this certainly comes up at festivals, <coughs> is is if you're in a mixed show with people who come from a very, very different improv background, and usually for me the thing that would be hard is people who come from a background of really being funny, trying to be funny right away. That can be a little strange backstage when you realize that and you go, oh, okay, this is a little hard to connect with this person maybe. And I, I realize what I, I think I'm better about that now than I used to be. I I think it scares me a little bit, but then I go, well, if I just connect with them, however they want to connect as much as I can, at least I'm showing them right now. Oh, I, I will connect with you. Um, like, that's what I'm here to do. And when we get on stage, I'm going to be here to do that, too. I'm going to be here to connect with you, not to try to be funny. And I think it influences people. They don't know it, but it relaxes them. and it, um, it may change the way they play, actually, during the show uh, in a positive way.
1: Oh, that is nice. How, how would you describe your style of improv if it's, well, apparently not going for the funny? How would not you describe in, it?
0: In general, although not avoiding it purposefully, uh, you know, I was trained through BATS, which got its initial, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to have a little sip of water because my throat is dry, excuse me, I'm sure that makes for a great podcast, yes, lic- yes. listening you know, to I'm, the water drinking.
1: Exactly, I'm drinking wine, <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a time difference here.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, good. Um John Stone, you know, was really influential in, in with the early bats development, and so I think the emphasis on character and storytelling is probably what it is, although um, I love doing short form, and I certainly don't consider short form to be about storytelling necessarily. Um, I consider short form to just to be about an interaction of some kind. Um, which may just be a physical interaction, a repetition, or whatever, versus a story. So, but, but, but in general, I would say definitely emphasis on character and storytelling versus uh, funny. Right. Yeah. Not not that I don't like being funny. I, li- I like being funny, and I like looking for funny stuff. It just can't be the main focus, I don't think.
1: And do you within your groups have a um, particular role? Or are you in? How are you different from the other plays of three for all or improv playouts of San Francisco?
0: You know, we try not to have a role. I I think, and if we identify that we are falling into roles, we try to break out of it. Not to say it's not there, but we try not to have it. Uh, I think you—you've heard me say. I think that I think improvisers' strengths always become their weaknesses. So, you know, if you have a role where like this person's good at physical comedy, this person is good at drama, this person is good at narrative, then you're starting to box in what you do during your shows and rely on somebody so much that it kind of puts them in a circle where you're relying on them. So they have to do it and they're good at it. So they think that's what they should always do. And then pretty soon you're out of balance. So you got to get away from your strengths, and you got to go for your weaknesses as an improviser, and that that helps you not fall into roles. Now, that being said, I think there are roles, somewhat, um, even if they're for the night, and I guess you, you can't you can't completely resist that either if it's your night to. <laughs> For people to mess with you all night, or you know something like that, like you, you get on a roll with things, right? Yeah. So, so it's an interesting question. But in general, I think our approach here is that we really resist roles. Now, you're you're bringing what you have personally to something, though. And I, I, I sometimes I call what what groups have the best groups that I've been a part of aren't completely smooth. There's a, there's, a, I call that creative conflict, you know, that you might drive each other crazy, even on stage, but it may really work because you have a certain quality and the other person has a quality and they clash a little, but in a good way. So, yeah, I don't know. That's a long answer.
1: Yeah, no, no, I I get that. Yeah, and is it, because um, I think that especially, because I've seen you with three for all, there is a lot of uh, trust between the three of you. So I Mm -hmm. guess when you're saying like you you can challenge each other, when was the last time, can you describe a situation where one of the three for all players was, or one of any other group you're in, one of those players was challenging you on the stage or uh, using the trust you have to see how far you could take you?
0: Oh yeah. Well, we we have a, a thing in three for all, uh, which we really push sometimes too far. But in in the first half when we do short scene work of uh, anything goes, it's kind of always been our philosophy to have no rules and have anything go. And uh, <laughs> we we definitely took that too far to show we did recently, even though it was really fun. But we'll just we'll completely bust each other on a sound effect. Somebody will make a sound effect. You know, someone will say there's a forklift in the background. Somebody goes, Glug! and Stephen will do that. And I'll say, Stephen, are you all right? You have a, you know, I'll say to his character, do you have a cough? You know, we'll totally bust each other, even though <laughs> our, in general our work is not at all about busting each other. Or Rafe was, in our last show, Rafe was asking for a suggestion from the audience. He was, he was saying, so what's something you like to do on the weekend to the audience? And I came in, I said, Dad, are you talking to yourself again in your room? (laughs) You know, which completely throws you off. But we have fun with that kind of thing. Uh, But we try not to do it as too high a percentage of what we do. (laughs) 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 Pimping. There's a lot of pimping.
1: Right, right. Well, I took the workshop with you. That was very nice, very interesting. Are you doing
0: any more pimping since the workshop? Yes, yes. Because I'm not a big
1: pimp. Pimp, pimper.
0: Pimper. Yes. Pimper.
1: I'm not a big pimper uh yeah. by nature. So yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm enjoying that um yeah. to, to do and to teach.
0: And, and what about uh, as a pimpy? Do you do are you responding well to people? Yes. I'm and yeah. I'm
1: telling it with a bit of resistance. Like I I mm. like to be pimped. I I will make a face <laughs> as if I'm not happy. But it will make me a better improviser.
0: Yeah. If, yeah. you,
1: if you pimp me to something, yeah.
0: Yeah, it, it, you know, it's important at, at that workshop that we, that we did in Amsterdam, you know, I, it's important, not you can overdo pimping, but you can underdo it. And, and you, I, I think improvisers can be too nice uh, to each other sometimes, which reduces the risk involved. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to reduce the risk.
1: No, exactly. That's why I like it, because I it's good for me to be challenged into risk taking. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. Let other people make you do stuff, stuff you wouldn't think of doing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What's yeah. your, what, the, do you remember one of your biggest pimps you either did or got?
0: I, I uh, the one, the one that I remember, which was very, very interesting to me, uh, you know, it's, one thing about improv that that is super enjoyable to audiences is that we say yes and we cooperate and we do things people make us do. Because in real life, we don't do that so much. Sometimes I, I, just like when you go to a dance and you see everyone doing the same movements and you go, oh, wow, they had to really work on that to do those exact movements together. It's very pleasing. And when you go to improv and you see somebody go, do this, and the person goes, okay, and they do it, people are like, oh, yay, you know, I, I wish life could always be like that, you know, and it makes them happy. And so you get this big reaction where you think, why was that such a big reaction? I, I, I remember uh, a while ago, it was a three-for-all show, we were doing a, a longer story, like a crime story, and there was this guy who was endowed as being a dog man, that was what he was called. Dog man. And, and you didn't know why. You had no idea why. And he didn't show up for a while in the story. And then I came in finally. I was dog man. And I talked normally and everything. And then somebody said something and I laughed. And when I laughed, I just went like kind of a dog. You know, I kind of went. <laughs> I just laughed like that, like a little bit of a bark in it. Yeah. And the and the audience went crazy. <laughs> It, it's funny. It, like it wasn't that funny. It was just a characteristic. But because I took that pimp, it wasn't that an outrageous one, where I was, you know, a blind tap dancer who did cartwheels. You know, it wasn't something like that. It was simpler. But but it makes the audience so happy when you take endowments on like that. Yes.
1: Uh,
0: I just remember the reaction that I got, and, and you kind of ask yourself why as a performer. Like, well, it's not that my laugh bark was so great. <laughs> it might have been good, but it wasn't that great. It's like, why are they having that big of a reaction? And you realize it's just such a great thing we can do, is is do what people ask us to, right?
1: Yeah. It's, I think, mm. the only performance art <laughs> where you can do that, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm.
1: Um, so I'm wondering, was there a, a turning point in your k- improv career that could either be Something that happened within you, more internally you realize something, or something externally that happened?
0: Hmm. I think there was probably several. Um, There's one that stands out above everything else, which is quite an unusual experience. I, I might even say it was an epiphany. And I would not use that word for many things in my life at all. Um, but it was when I was uh, studying, Rafe was actually my first improv teacher, and we were studying how to do long form, which hadn't been done yet in improv, as far as we know. And it was 1989, I think. And uh, we were, we were, playing this family who was, uh, not family, a group of people who was traveling in space because earth was used up and we were going to another planet to colonize it. And we'd been doing this scene just four people in a spaceship traveling for like 15 or 20 minutes. And I had never been in a scene. I mean, I'd only been improvising a year, but I had never been in a scene that lasted that long. So it seemed like forever, right?
1: Yeah.
0: And, Halfway through the scene, I this was not in front of an audience. This was in a class. I had this sensation. It actually made a noise inside my head. It went, I'll try to do the noise. It went like that. And everything like became completely clear to me. It was like I was in that spaceship. I was with those people. And it hit me. I had this sense of well-being on stage that was pretty profound it it was actually the belief uh but not not a thought it was like my body felt it it was like I can just be on stage and pretend to be somebody else and do something and people will watch me for hours cuz that's what theater is you know so So it's it's okay. You know, just be there. You don't have to impress anybody. You don't have to do anything more than a person would do, than that character. Just be there. And it was this, I had to stop. Uh, I remember the people in the class actually went, Tim, are you all right? (laughs) Like, and and I went, what? And and they went like, are you okay? Because you look. I go, oh, do I look bad? And they go, no, no, you look like really happy or something. And I said, yeah, I told them what I just felt. And everybody was like, wow, that's cool. And that feeling, I've never had that same experience of that real epi- epiphany kind of moment. But that feeling has always stuck with me. Um, I've never forgotten it. Like something clicked for me
1: yeah,
0: in a specific moment. And I think... I was really fortunate to have that moment. I don't think many people have it, because I've never had it again either. But it it instilled in me a a feeling of confidence in improv that it's okay just to be there. You don't have to work so hard. Mm -hmm. And um, Yeah, I feel really lucky to have that. There have been others, but that was the strongest thing.
1: Yeah. yeah. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Especially when Mm -hmm. it makes a sound. Yeah. It's very...
0: Oh yeah, it was kind of like a focus sound, you know. Like like let go of what people think of you and all this stuff and just be in that spaceship with those people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it was wonderful. It's yeah.
1: great. Yeah. It it makes me think of one because you like quotes and it makes mm, me yes, think I of, do. of them. I I'm paraphrasing probably, but that um I think either Rave or Steve said to you improv is being someone who is somewhere.
0: Yeah, Rafe said something. that. Yeah, uh, uh, no, uh, s- somebody who is somewhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's yeah. yeah. right.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a great, great it quote. It is. It's so clean. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there?
1: Because mm-hmm. uh, I know you have a lot of quotes, but I, are there <laughs> one or two that, for you, except for that one, that are also very that are your favorites? Maybe.
0: Yeah, well, I love the I love the quote John Wooden, a basketball famous basketball coach in the United States, had, which is, uh, "Do not let what you cannot do get in the way of what you can do." Right, uh, which is a quote I really love. Um, um, I just read. Do you know Calvin and Hobbes? Yes. Oh, good. Is that translated, or do you read it in English?
1: I think it's popular in English in Holland as well.
0: Yeah, not um,
1: as because it's really into the American culture, but not as much as the Americans still.
0: Yeah, it's 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 really wonderful. I think it would. I, I, I think it would translate to most cultures. Anyway, he just gave an interview for the first time in his entire career, and I bought the book and I've been writing down quotes of his. Um, that I'm going to start using in my improv classes. And I love his quotes, man. They apply to improv completely. He was talking about writing his comic strip. And he says, uh, the characters were very alive to me. I don't know if this makes sense to people, but when you're doing this right, you're not putting the words into the characters' mouths. Instead, you're listening to them. They talk on their own, and you just follow along behind. The characters write their own material. The – oh, my phone's ringing. Yeah. I'm going to turn that off. All right. Um, sorry. Sure. I think I actually answered it and somebody heard me say sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, he says, the relationship is not so much constructed as revealed, mm-hmm. which I really like that quote uh, for for people when they improvise. Because, again, I think – I think often with improvisers, I mean, there's so many skills we have to work on, but one thing is trying to get people, to give people a sense of confidence um, that they don't have to do too much because that feeling just creates so many problems in in improv, you know, rushing and not playing people and thinking more and bigger and bigger things have to happen and trying to be funny and being insecure and being negative, you know, where if we just feel okay about being on stage and playing characters, it really helps us.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Discovering the story. Yeah.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Like that. Are there particular stories, particular stories you like? Maybe Calvin and Hobbes or any other kinds of fairy tales or myths? (laughs)
0: Uh, No, I I like all kinds of stories, but I tend to like drama more than comedy. I I like comedy, but I gravitate toward drama and mysteries and crime. And, you know, um, so I I, I guess in in general, I gravitate toward that. You know, I I do that exercise, Laura. I know you know this. um, Where at the beginning of teaching long form to groups, I ask the first thing I do is, ask them what their favorite story of all time is. Mm -hmm. And usually, say we have a group of 12 people, I'll I'll usually get people to give two. And it doesn't have to be a movie. It could be a book or anything. Um, And so we get a list of 24 movies. And always the list is at least 75% drama. And usually it's 90% drama. And it's not unusual for there to be no comedies on the list. So you have a group of 12 people who want to do improv and tell stories. This is long form we're talking about. And they, their favorite stories, there's not one comedy. And I, and I, I always do that to begin with, because I go, look at this list you guys. What does that say? Cause I think probably what you're worried about here is being funny. And, you just made a list of 24 stories. They're tragic. They're depressing. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of death in them. There's a lot of romance. That you know. And so, what does that say about you as a storyteller? And I, I, I hope that has some effect on people. I don't know if it does. It has a huge effect on me because I've never ever taught a class where there were a lot of comedies on that list.
1: Yeah.
0: Even when they're young improvisers. So.
1: So any recommendations for movies we should see or books we should read?
0: Oh, gosh, I don't know. No, nothing in particular. I I think, um, you know, I have a list of uh, movies to watch for genres, like seven movies in nine different genres yeah. that I think are really good. Uh, I don't have any particular ones, but I do think if you're going to um, read something – or look at movies in a genre or in in some format you're going to do. It's always good to look at at least three, uh, and hopefully more, because otherwise you get trapped in the plots of one or two. And it's better to understand the whole world. So if you're going to do research, I would say you know really get into it. Don't just watch one or two things. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have any. Yeah, I don't have any one or two things I recommend though.
1: Yeah well that's also a, it's a, a process of getting the genres which is nice yeah to know that yeah and to yeah um really invest in particular genres
0: yeah get to know the world yeah yeah that uh those movies those stories were created in mm
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um so did you know, what is the best advice you ever received about improv or your career or anything related
0: I think that would have to be my dad when I was a kid and I didn't know what I wanted to do and he didn't really care what I did you know he had no agenda for me <laughs> and he probably could have had a little more and that wouldn't have been bad but he really didn't have any and he, he would tell me even when I was a kid he said you know do what you love to do he said, that'll make me happy, you know, because he said, life is short. You got to do what you love to do. And that, and that advice was based partly on him not always doing, you know, what, what he loved to do, unfortunately, because he had other commitments. But I think that's great advice. And I think, I think being told that as a young person, it never really left me, you know, that, oh, you can actually do what you love to do. You don't have to be trapped into something that you don't want to do. Hopefully. I mean, it does happen in life. But if you're lucky enough to have choices, then you should do what you love to do.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's a very beautiful, nice, natural end for this little interview. Are there, so if yeah. anyone wants to know more about you or wants to know where to find you,
0: do yeah. you um,
1: where can they find you online or I-
0: offline? I think they can call you.
1: Yes. <laughs> let's give Let's give me your
0: phone number, and then you can just tell them what you know about me, and then they can contact me. No, you can go to, um, you know, you can go to our website, uh, improv.org is Bats' website. Believe it or not, that then, is
1: cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can tell we've been around a while. Yes. To have that website, and then there's Improv Playhouse of San Francisco. Then there's Three for All. Uh, the number three, and you can check out those websites and and see what's up, and you can listen, to, uh, re-listen to this podcast
1: <laughs> <laughs> over and over. <laughs> Just again. listen
0: to it, over until you have it memorized. <laughs> but uh, Laura, I'm glad that you. I know you get around uh, a lot all through Europe, and you know a lot about the improv scene there. So I think it's great you're doing a podcast. I think you're a really good person to do it. Oh, and I'm sure it's going to be pretty cool for people to uh, hear you, the interviews that you do.
1: Well, you're so my glad first, you're so I hope yeah, that yeah, yeah. this this have, will continue in this way. Yeah,
0: I have not been anybody's first in a long time, so I'm super <laughs> happy. <laughs> we come back
1: to the the girl and the old man, right? The title for this <laughs> podcast,
0: that's right. I, I don't think the audience actually heard that though, to begin with. No.
1: Either. No, maybe better to (laughs) keep
0: that between ourselves.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for this. Um, I will put some um, links to all your groups uh, in uh, the notes that come with the podcast. And um, I will also put my details in there for whoever in Europe wants to get in touch with you. I think I'm a bit of your European
0: agent. Or at least Holland. (laughs) No, I'd say Europe. A little bit. Thanks, Laura. It was a pleasure talking with you.
1: Thank you so much. So, have a good day. Where are you off to?
0: I am off to a San Francisco Giants baseball game. Yes. Yes. Very cool.
1: All right. I will uh, go look up my angel wings that I need for a theater piece tomorrow.
0: Okay. All right. Thanks, Laura.
1: All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.